Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Brian Candelo. Good morning, church. My name is Brian. I am pastor of uh, birth through Young adults, diapers to diplomas, if you will. So just welcome this morning. Welcome to house churches. Welcome to families gathering together or families gathering together. Or for those of you that are just watching this by yourself, welcome. So glad that you're joining us this way. Honestly, I miss you in this room uh, for family gathers. Really wish you could be here. And so to make it feel a little bit more like you were here for the next five minutes, I'm just going to rattle fruit snack wrappers. So that that's what it sounds like. And if you're familiar with family gathers, you'll know that that's what the first five minutes of every family gather service sounds like. Um, we'll keep going from there. He was from a pretty big family. He was from a family that had 12 boys. He was number 11. That's a lot of boys in the house. 12 pairs of stinky sandals by the door. The fridge is always empty. They're constantly wrestling and fighting over the remote for what show that they get to watch. It's a lot of competition, especially at the dinner table. But it wasn't all competition. And although there may have been competition for food and competition in the games that they played, Joseph didn't really have trouble competing for his father's affection. He was the favorite and everybody knew it. And while his brothers all got the hand-me-downs, he didn't. They were walking around in clothes that other people have worn, and he's walking around in a polychromatic Patagonia. You see, he grew up in a family that knew God, that honored God. His dad had some crazy stories about who God was and what God did. But from what we can tell, Joseph's family was a little bit messy. And it seems like Joseph is growing up just a little bit shallow and a little bit spoiled. And it definitely seems like his brothers were growing up bitter and hard and aggressive and angry. Now, God began to give Joseph some dreams, some prophetic dreams, God-given prophetic dreams that he just wasn't afraid to share with his family. And quite honestly, these dreams didn't need a whole lot of interpretation. These dreams had him way out in front and his brothers way behind. These dreams had him standing up and his family kneeling and bowing to him. And I just can't help but wonder what my brothers would have done to me if I had shared similar dreams. I would have received some punishment for that. Now, Genesis 37 tells us that Joseph is 17 years old when things start to really get moving in his life. His dad sends him out to check on his brothers who are watching the flocks out in fields in some remote location. And he'd been doing that frequently and reporting back to his dad some of the bad things that his brothers had been doing. And so that further created a rift between he and his brothers. And when he finds his brothers out in this remote location, their anger just boils up, boils over. They grab him. They throw him in a pit. And some of the brothers say, let's just kill him now and get it over with. But other brothers, more compassionate brothers, say, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. After all, they say, he is our brother. Now, we know that Joseph begged for his life. We know that he cried out for help, but he was sold anyway. He was sold into slavery and taken to Egypt. And Psalm 105 tells us that he had shackles on his feet, that he had an iron collar around his neck. And every step that he took was a step further away from everything that he knew, from everything that he loved. 
in Egypt, he ended up in the house of a very prominent citizen in the nation. And he made a lot of great decisions and the house began to prosper. And as he made good decisions, he got bad results. He was falsely accused and he was thrown in jail to be forgotten. And when he should have been given a prize, he was given prison. When he should have been given a medal, he was marginalized. And so we have to ask the question in his story, why? God, what about the prophetic dreams? What about the faithful, all-powerful God that he grew up hearing about? What was God doing in this moment? Why wasn't God moving on Joseph's behalf? Let's look at one more story from the Old Testament. David. David's the youngest of of eight boys. He's the baby, and he grows up in a family that knows God, that honors God, that taught the children about God. But he spent a lot of time doing things that were beneath his brothers. A lot of times that meant that he was out babysitting sheep. Now, it did give him time to write music and to play music, and some of that was in praise to God, and probably some of that was just about the oddities of who sheep are. Some of the time that he spent learning how to use his slingshot, which would come in handy later on in life, but he still always felt a little bit left behind. He still always longed for the adventures that his brothers got to go on. And many times in David's life, he was honestly an afterthought. When Samuel, the prophet of God at the time, was coming to his house for a feast, David didn't even get to come. He's still out babysitting sheep. But then he gets called and he comes in. And this prophet of God, this Samuel, anoints him as the king of Israel. That's amazing. He goes from single A to the majors just like that. He goes from from sheep chaperone to the king. Kind of. Because there already is a king. You know, I I don't know. I don't know if David just, you know, changed his Facebook status, new king of Israel, and then the prophet leaves, and he goes back to being king of the sheep, I guess. But then he goes to visit his brothers who are fighting a battle, and uh, there's a giant, and he hurls a rock at the giant and kills the giant, and then he gets called into service for the current king who hurls a spear at him twice and then tells his attendants to kill David and then gathers an army to chase David and try and kill David. And so David spends his kingly years hiding in caves and running around. And so we want to ask questions here too. What about the promise? What about the anointing? What about the all-powerful God that he grew up hearing about and singing praises to? What was God doing in this moment? Why wasn't God moving on behalf of David. And there are stories like this throughout Scripture. Faithful people who are called to follow God who end up in difficult and confusing seasons. And if we were to judge the power of God and the presence of God and the compassion of God and the move of God, at this point in these stories, we would think that God was indifferent or inactive. And quite honestly, we can come to the same conclusions in the middle of our own stories. That's where we live. We all live right in the middle of our own stories. And we come to this conclusion that, God, what's going on? And we have all these questions arise. When things are out of control, we feel like, God, why aren't you in control? When we take God's silence for just these seasons of God's inactivity, it causes questions to rise up in us. But I want to remind us this morning of a simple truth that God is on the move. And that's what we're going to talk about all month. God is on the move at all times, in all power, in all people, in all compassion. 
God is on the move. John chapter five has a story of Jesus who heals a man who had been sick for 38 years. And he happened to do so on the Sabbath, which was the holy day. And so the the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus. And his response is this from John 5, verse 17. He says, my father is always working and so am I. My father is always working and so am I. God is on the move. He doesn't take naps. He doesn't take vacations. You're never going to get an automated email response that says he's out of the office. Psalm 121 says the one who watches over us will not sleep. God is on the move. Now, as we talked about borrowing things from our children's ministry, they share Gotham stories, G-O-T-M, God on the move. And we want to continue sharing stories of God on the move, even when we can't see it, even in these seasons. And so when I say God is on the move, this should cause something to stir in us. It should. About every two or three years, I read the Chronicles of Narnia series. I just love that series. And then I spend the next couple of weeks pushing on the back of all of the closets in my house to see if I can somehow get into Narnia. But in book one, the four children who have found their way into Narnia end up at the home of Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And Mr. Beaver says this, Aslan is on the move. And now a very curious thing happened, that the moment the beaver had said these words, everyone felt quite different. At the sound of Aslan's name and the saying, Aslan is on the move, something stirred in all of them. Now Edmund, who had just made a very poor choice, it said he felt a mysterious horror. But Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. And Susan felt as if some delicious smell or some delightful strain of music had just floated by her. And Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and you realize it's summer vacation. And so when I say to you, God is on the move, what does that stir in you? Does that stir excitement, skepticism, doubt, belief? We're going to come back to that thought in just a minute, but we're going to take a minute to watch this video challenge. What's up? It's your boy, Bro Montana. Bro Montana. And we're showing you our weekly challenges. Every week, we're introducing a new challenge that you're going to want to enter because, duh, it's fun. And two, we're randomly selecting the entry to get 90 fruit snacks. Making it rain fruit snacks, and it's going to be dope. Check out C3 doing all these sick trick shots. What do we want to see you do this week? We want to see you catch food in your mouth in the dopest ways possible. We're talking grapes. We're talking cantaloupe. We're talking chips and salsa. We're talking chips and guac. We're talking chips and hummus. Most importantly, cheese balls. We want to see you video. Video? 
Yeah, video catching that in your mouth. So here's how you do it. You're gonna take your phone, you're gonna turn it sideways, you're gonna hit the record button, and then you're gonna capture that video. Then you're gonna text us that video at 503-409-8714 by Wednesday at 10 o'clock a.m. And finally, and most importantly, you are gonna join us next Sunday on live stream when we put all these dope clips together. Here are some of the ways you can catch food in your mouth. Don't forget to join us next week. Peace out from Bro Montana. Okay, that was something. Uh, you're welcome, parents, for that for that challenge. Uh, let's come back. Let's circle back to this idea of God on the move. But let's move from these biblical stories to our own stories because this has been quite a year. It's been quite a season in our own lives. I was laughing a few weeks ago about this meme from Back to the Future. Uh, any year, it doesn't matter, just don't enter 2020. It's like every month brings something new as if we're standing around a corner pushing open the door of the next month, a little bit afraid of what's going to happen because things do seem out of control. The pandemic has brought, obviously, health scares and economic struggles and canceled school and trips and birthday parties and weddings. And we have justice issues that keep arising and we want to continue to chase justice. And political rhetoric is just ramping up again. And all of these things have only magnified the issues in our already demanding lives, there's just so many things for us to process in this season. And I think for a while we had this sense of bravado. For a while we were like, bring it on 2020. And then we got murder hornets and squirrels with bubonic plague and no fruit snacks in August. And we're like, enough, that's it, enough. And so when I say God is on the move, our response can be, really? Where? Because it doesn't seem like it's happening here. Because we tend to evalu evaluate God's power and his presence and his love for us by how well he meets our expectations. By how well he kind of lines up with our agenda. Because we believe our stories should look a certain way. And honestly, that way is usually just a little bit better than they currently look. We make the team, we get the lead in the play, we have the best relationships, we get the promotion, we have the perfect family. We get everything that there is on our wish list. And when that doesn't happen, when our agenda seems like it's at odds with God's agenda, we get frustrated. And more importantly, we tend to lose hope in those moments. And we say, God, come on. After all, it seems like you promised. What's all this stuff about a hope in a future? I keep seeing people post. And maybe that's where we find ourselves today, questioning the goodness and the greatness of God. I, I tend to think of it this way. When I was a kid and I wanted a certain toy, when I was a kid, I wanted a green machine. I don't know if you know what a green machine is. It's like a big wheel, but a whole lot cooler. You can Google it after the service. I wanted a green machine. I wanted rock'em, sock'em robots that I never had. I wanted Mattel handheld electronic football, which is way better than anything PlayStation has to offer. And when my parents wouldn't make that happen for me, I would get frustrated. 
I would get sad. I would have a whole lot of questions for my parents like, why not? When can this happen? Don't you love me? And maybe we find ourselves asking similar questions of God. God, what about the promises of Scripture? What about the things that you have spoken over us? What about the all-powerful God that we grew up worshiping and hearing about and reading about? God, what are you doing in this moment? Why aren't you moving on our behalf, God? Now, I want to show you something in the biblical stories that we open with that I believe is very similar to our own stories because the stories of Joseph and the stories of, story of David, they hinge on the same two words. And our story hinges on those two words as well. Take a look at Genesis chapter 50. This is towards the end of Joseph's life and he's standing in front of his brothers and he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. David's story in 1 Samuel chapter 23, it said, Saul hunted him day after day, but God didn't let Saul find him. And if you notice the hinge, the turn in those verses is the phrase, but God. Time and again in scripture, we see the phrase, but God. The narrative seems to be heading in one direction. The questions begin to rise. Hope seems to be lost, but God is on the move. And we see it in those stories and we can see it in our stories. These two words mean that God is in control. They mean God is actively involved in our stories. These two words are our hope. This is Jesus saying, my father is always working and so am I. God is on the move in us and through us and around us. And I just want to remind us quickly of two truths that God is always with us. No matter the season, God is always with us. And this is such a good thing. This is not a threat. This is not intended for behavior modification. God is with us. In Genesis 39, it says that God was with Joseph in the pit, in the slavery, in the jail, in the palace. Second Samuel chapter 7, God says to David, I have been with you wherever you have gone which means when you were running from Saul, when you were hiding out in caves, when life seemed like it just didn't meet the expectations that you had, I have been with you. And he says the same to us. Be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Even in this season, especially in this season, we need to remember that God is on the move. God is with us. And that's such a good thing because not only is God with us always, God is always for us. God is for us. You probably know the end of Joseph's story and it, and it worked out, but he had a 13-year period from age 17 to age 30 where it was a mess. 13 years. David had quite a season where he was running around and hiding in caves and it just didn't look like he thought it was going to look. But God was for them and God is for us. And I want you to hear this this morning, that God is as intimately involved in your story as he was in the stories of Joseph and David. God is equally involved in our stories. And so in the silence and in the seeming slowness, God is absolutely, relentlessly, unceasingly, infallibly, lovingly moving on your behalf. He always has been, and he always will. Ephesians chapter two opens up with this idea that we were in trouble. We were lost. We were in, in 
pretty broken situation because of our sin and because of the way that we wanted to lean into. And then look what it says, Ephesians chapter two, verse four. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much. God is for us that he sent his son to give his life so that we could have life. He sent his son so that we could be saved. It says he gave us a seat in heaven. God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And that just wasn't a one-time thing. God is continually for us. And so, yes, we are, we are in a hard season. We will have hard seasons and things don't look like we want them to look. And, and these things are harder than we would have chosen otherwise. But it doesn't mean that God is inactive. It doesn't mean that he's indifferent. God takes us to places that we would, never, we would never expect for purposes we can't see to bring fame to his name. God's bringing us, he's refining us, he's shaping us, and he's always with us, and he's always for us, and he is always on the move. And I just want to say this. My wife told me this this past week. She reminded me that as kids, we get it. As adults, we forget it. And so kids, way to go. And we need to recapture some of that childlike faith. We need to understand that, yeah, this is who God is. And kind of the older we grow, the more we kind of forget these things about God. And we need to lean in and we need to remember these things. And so just in closing, just two handles. We want to remember that God is on the move. For a while, we were enamored with John Krasinski's show, Some Good News. Well, Godums really are just some God news. And we want to share Godum stories with each other, with the church as a whole, because we want to cause hope to stir among us because hope renews strength. So first I would just say this. We want to pray for eyes to see God on the move. Sometimes we can't see it. And so maybe today or this coming week, you could just pray, God, would you show me what you're doing in this situation? Would you show me how you're moving in my life, in the life of my family, in the life of my coworkers, in your world? God, give me eyes to see. And the second thing I would love for us to do is to share stories of God on the move. And so I would just say this, kids, ask your parents. Parents, ask your parents. Parents, ask your kids. Younger generation, connect with the older generation. Continue to share these stories of God on the move because God isn't just on the move biblically. God isn't just on the move in other parts of the world. God is on the move here and now in this place in us. And we want to share those stories so that hope will rise among us. So for the rest of this series, we're going to spend time each weekend sharing some Godam stories. And we would love for you to begin Sending yours in, telling us where God is on the move in different areas of your life so that we can share them with the church family so that hope will rise. And so this morning, we're going to let kids lead the way. And here's some of the stories that kids have shared over the past several months of God on the move in their lives. Let's watch this video. Hi guys, I'm Sasha and I'm on the C2 crew. So this week I get the privilege of doing one of the Godom. So this week it's by Chloe Johnson. Uh, she says, my mom and I have been reading the Bible together every evening. We have read through Genesis and now we're on to Exodus now. God has spoken to me through, the, through some different verses. I've highlighted them. That's so cool, Chloe. Way to go. 
Hi everyone, it's Lisa. I normally work in C1 at the 11 o'clock service with the kindergartners, but today I am happy to share with you a bottom that Gwynley shared with us, who is also a kindergarten six-year-old at C1. So without further ado, she wrote, this week I experienced God on the move in two different ways. The first, it was on my bike ride. I wanted to challenge myself to ride the entire 3.25 mile round trip while my mom ran. After stopping at my school to see the flowers, I got tired. We asked God to give me the endurance and positive attitude to make it home. I did it. It was the furthest distance I had ever ridden in my bike, but God gave me what I needed to finish the ride home. The other way I saw God moving is when I lost my front tooth. It had been loose for four weeks and I was ready for it to be out. My family asked God to help the tooth come out and it did. It came out on Wednesday and I was so happy. That's awesome, Gwynley. We're so proud of you. And thank you so much for sharing your Gotham. And have a great week, everyone. Hi, students. It's Emily from C3. And I just wanted to say I miss you guys so much, but I'm so thankful that we have technology to be able to worship together. Today, I get to bring you a Gotham from our fifth grade friend named Maddie. Here's what she says. God worked a miracle this week and saved my mom's life. She was having trouble breathing. God spoke to her to go to the ER. She has blood clots in her lungs, and if she would have waited, she could have died. I am glad God made her alive. I am so happy that God spoke to my mom. I love God. Maddie, that's true. God speaks. Thank you for sharing your story, and we'll see you guys soon. My name is Katie Lander. I'm the middle school pastor here at Salem Alliance Church, and I was invited by my good friend Angie to read a Gotham story. I'm so excited. This Gotham story comes from Nora Shepard, and this is what she has to say. She said, yesterday I saw the most beautiful sunset of all time. It went from yellow to purple to blue. The moon was a crescent moon, and the clouds were a beautiful white. Some of them were little dots and others were little clumps, but they were still beautiful. I decided to go out and think, and I thought a lot about how God made this scene and about how much I love him and he loves me. Nora, that is amazing. Hey, I'm excited for you guys as you head into this next week, and I hope that you have amazing God moments as well. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.